with food and drink, it's so important that the liquid or the food tastes great. And I think some people sometimes forget that is that if you want people to repeatedly come back to your brand and keep buying you, then it's got to taste amazing. You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills, and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and UK manufacturers, and offering you advice and tips on making in the UK. So let's get on with today's show. Welcome to episode 131 of the Make It British podcast. I've got something a little bit different for you today, slightly out of the usual sector that I do cover on this show. But because Make It British is all about buying products that are made in the UK, which have fantastic provenance, I really wanted to introduce you to this brand that I'm going to be speaking to today because it's a real personal favourite of mine. So today I'm speaking to Jack Scott, who is a co-founder of a brand called Dash Water. Now, if you've not tasted Dash Water yet, I'm hoping by the time you finish listening to this, you're going to be gasping for a sip of it because I have become a bit of a fangirl um, of this amazing flavoured water. And actually just call it flavoured water is doing it a bit of a disservice because it really is something very special. Now, Jack and his co-founder both came from farming backgrounds and wanted to make sure that they could do something to give back to the farming industry because they knew about all of the waste that went on. And so their water brand is built on the fact that they use fruit and veg that would otherwise have gone or have gone to waste because it's a sort of wonky fruit and veg, as they call it, which supermarkets and other big corporate organisations turn down. So that's exactly what they use in their drinks. And Jack's going to tell us a lot more about that. Now, he also has some fantastic things to say about how they've got their brand in such short, a short space of time into some very big and well-known retailers. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Jack Scott. And I'm also going to put a link in the show notes for this podcast where you can find out more about the farmers that they work with for the brand, more about the provenance of the brand and also a special discount code if you want to taste it for yourself because I'm a convert and I hope that I can convince you that it's worth checking out and ditching any dodgy Coca-Cola and other such sweetened, nasty flavoured drinks. (laughs) Brilliant. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today, Jack. No, it was great to be on. Thank you for having me, Kate. So as I've said, I'm a massive fan of Dash Water. When I gave up drinking alcohol at the beginning of lockdown, it really was the thing that saved me because I really look forward to my cans of Dash. In fact, I've got one right here, so I'm going to open it now (laughs) so I can drink it while we're doing this interview. Nice. Well, I'm glad it it filled a gap um, and stopped you from drinking alcohol. It's (laughs) always great to hear. Though I bet you have got some people that do put gin in the cucumber one. 
Yeah, no, I think um, more and more people are actually using it as sort of like a healthy, um, no sugar uh, mixer, which is Mm. really exciting to see. So for people that don't know, do you want to first explain what Dash Water is? Sure. So Dash is really simple. It's just sparkling spring water infused with wonky fruit and it contains no sugar, no sweetener and no calories. Um, And we basically wanted to um, create a drink that tasted great um, but didn't have any of the nasty stuff. Um, So that was the, the mission at the start. And did you have a background in food and drink before? Yeah, so Alex and I work for another soft drinks company. Um, So we spent about two or three years there learning or understanding how the drinks industry works. We were Mm. both in sales. So we had a good understanding of how to get products on shelf. And But as far as production's concerned, did you also know how, how that worked? Yeah, the production side, definitely um, no. We weren't involved in the operation side of the business. So um, trying to understand how to actually create, you know, a can and then the manufacturing certainly took um, a bit of time to understand the process. Um, Mm -hmm. So a lot of sort of calling on, you know, contacts within the industry, um, all sorts of different ways of trying to speak to the right people to understand how it all worked. Because there's many soft drinks out there which are flavoured water and I hate all of the rest of them. I mean, I'm a fizzy water fan anyway. I will only drink water that's carbonated and I yeah. usually carbonate my own. <laughs> but how have you managed to take make dash water taste so different and so special compared to your traditional flavoured waters? And for those people that haven't tried dash water, they really must because I'm, you know, I've not been paid to say this. I yeah. Have I? I'm a, I'm a really big fan. The taste of it is very different to those other flavoured waters. What, I mean, you obviously can't give away your trade secrets, but how, how was that your plan right from the start to make it taste completely different and much fresh and less, because it doesn't taste synthetic. Yeah, like no. Well, that's great to hear that you um, that that you think um, the taste um, is is really natural. I think what what we when we started out, Alex and I used to do a lot of sampling in parks in London. <laughs> so what we would do is we'd literally take big vats of water and we'd infuse different fruits um, into the water and then carbonate it using a soda stream. Yeah, um, and then cool it right down. So. And we, we, we tested out on lots of people and we said, you know, what do you think of this? And the, the resounding reaction was that, you know, it's really refreshing, really natural. So it was really important for us to, to, to replicate that um, as close as possible. Um, and that was a difficult um, thing to do to sort of upscale it, um, that infusion process. Mm, I bet it was, particularly when it comes to the cucumber flavour, because it actually really tastes like a very subtle flavour of cucumber. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we do, we, what we do is we use, um, so I mentioned earlier that we use wonky fruit. So um, won- by wonky, I mean we use a lower grade fruit mm. that would otherwise go to waste. So say for the cucumbers, for instance, we'll take a grade three or a grade four cucumber, the ones and the twos would go to the supermarket and then there's like a lower grade that would otherwise go to waste normally. 
So mm. we're able to take those cucumbers, which are perfectly good. They've just grown in a funny way or they're slightly overweight, which means that the supermarkets don't want them. And then we literally take those wonky cucumbers um, to a boutique sort of flavor house, which makes an extract for us. Um, and that's around infusing the, the cucumbers in some water, pressing them, and then filtering out um, the water. So you get the sort of, uh, sort of intense extract, cucumber extract, which we then put into the sparkling water. Brilliant. And you've got raspberry, haven't you? So very British fruits, raspberry and um, what, black currant, which I've got here, cucumber. Yes. So black currant, uh, cucumber and raspberries are all grown in the UK. The black currants and the raspberries are actually within a 20 mile radius of where we get it canned and made where the extract is. So we're really proud of the footprint with those. Mm. The lemons come from Sicily, the peaches come from Spain, um, and then the cucumbers come from the Lee Valley in Essex, where most of the cucumbers are grown in the UK. Excellent. So have you got any plans for another flavour? <laughs> well, we launched the peach back in April. Um, just well just as covid was sort of happening um and it's gone down incredibly well the peach i'm not sure you, you, it's the fla- you, yeah it's the favorite in our household definitely yeah. me and my daughter f- fight over the last peach can <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's sort of um got quite a it's quite it feels more like a you know a, so- a soft drink it's got that really sort of fruity um peachy flavor which seems to go down extremely well Um, we're always looking to bring out new flavors. Um, it's important for us that we can find the surplus story, um, and Mm. then go, go from there. Um, but I love the idea of looking at, we're looking at a, a a cherry. We're looking at a rhubarb. rhubarb. So, yeah. Excellent. So the provenance of your brand obviously is really important to you and you have that in all of your marketing. Have your customers fed back to you that that is the main reason that they buy the drinks from you is is that really important to your customers as well i believe so um we've we've tried to create um a brand that um people sort of understand um the provenance of it i think for you know within food and drink um you know label ingredients and label decks have become more and more complicated and mm. we want to create um a label deck that people understood so we talk about this three simple ingredients it's just british sparkling spring water wonky fruit and bubbles so it's a really sort of clear message that hopefully people um, understand and they can be confident in the purity of the the product yeah exactly which is so important these days Um, and i think actually the food industry in the uk is far ahead of many other manufacturing industries in the labeling and how people are more interested in the provenance and and your branding and marketing in particular is brilliant so did you say you say you're you've come from a sales background how about alex your co-founder is he from a marketing background or design or something (laughs) no we're both we're both from sales backgrounds we we um we we've just worked with um in terms of the branding we've just worked with um an amazing agency who we 
we always thought that the, the branding was going to be really um, pivotal to our success, especially with the type of brand or product we wanted to create. So we wanted a brand that really stood out on shelf, that had clear messaging and that was really desirable. So the process of finding the right people to create and design the brand was very vigorous. So we, we spoke to around 12 to 15 different agencies and we found one that we connected the best with, who really understood our story um, and what we wanted to do. But mm. I suppose the clarity and the story and the product was there um, from from the beginning and we just needed someone to to bring that to life so does it cost a lot of money to launch uh, a drink brand I would imagine it does yeah the the expensive part for us was that we wanted to go into an aluminium can mm-hmm. um, so if you want to have a printed aluminium can the minimum order quantities are very high normally they are, they are going lower and lower now. Um, but when we started, the barriers to entry were quite high and the manufacturers um, were not necessarily looking for, for new smaller businesses. But luckily, um, a manufacturer in Herefordshire gave us the break and um, enabled us to, um, to do a slightly smaller run to begin with. Mm. But yes, it is. I suppose it, it is expensive um, to start off a, a soft drinks company, especially in an aluminium can where the minimum order quantities are high. Yeah, but as you know, as your your typical customer, I suppose I wouldn't have bought it if it was in plastic. So you definitely did the right thing there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Doubt. The the aluminium, you know, it has the the strongest recyclable um, story. For us, it gives um, you know a bigger canvas for us to bring out our story and our design. So that was really important. Um, and also, the can can be sold in in, in everywhere. Basically, um, it's not restricted um, by you know glass. It can be sold in train stations and aeroplanes. Mm. And um, the can is a format that has now become more premium with the rise of craft beer. Um, another sort of premium soft drinks such as San Pellegrino, where, you know, smart delis, restaurants even are now happy to serve cans. So mm. it's a good so all-round would, format. So would you say in that respect, San Pellegrino is one of your biggest competitors? Um, so San Pellegrino, I was I was talking about the fruit. Do you know the one, the fruit carbonate ones? Yes. With aluminium foil. Yeah, because I go on holiday to Sicily a lot and it's yeah. kind of ubiquitous when you go over there. Everyone yeah. drinks San Pellegrino. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think they're very much more of a soft drink. And I think people are starting to realise that those those specific drinks are actually full of, of sugar. So yeah. there might be 30 grams of sugar in those, but they're very clever. It tastes like it's sort of healthy. Mm. Um, but San Pellegrino... Um, you know, it's one of my favourite heritage brands. I just think it's incredible. And yeah. obviously their sparkling water brand with those green bottles are just so iconic. Um, so I think there's a lot of crossover between, you know, people who love sparkling water um, and dash drinkers. We also mm. have a lot of people who have moved off diet soft drinks. So trying to move away from diet Coke. Um, and then there's definitely like a premium, the premium end of soft drinks. So whether it's San Pellegrino or um, maybe like Corsten Press, and it's people moving away from from the sugar. 
Definitely. So I think I first discovered the brand in a cardo. Yeah. Did you and you're stocked as well? I think in in most supermarkets now, aren't you? And did I see you're also being stocked in? You've broken the US. What was the what was the secret to getting your brand on the shelves in all the big stores? Yeah, it's a good question. So we're now three years in, um, which um, to begin with, we just wanted Dash to be seen in all of the the cool, I don't like the word, the coolest spots around town. Um, yeah. so whether it was the, you know, the, the boutique gyms, the Whole Foods, the Planet Organics, the speciality stores, the, the coffee shops. And that's where we wanted people to first see the brand, to build up, you know, the brand equity. Um, but now we've sort of grown and we're, we're now in around sort of maybe five, 6,000 stores across Europe. Um, with larger listings such as Sainsbury's, Ocado, um, and some supermarket chains in Holland and Belgium, um, and on the high street, including Boots, Holland and Barrett, um, and places places like that. So, we've um, over the last couple of years seen some some good growth, um, and now sort of selling a decent amount of cans, which is great. So, how did you approach that? Was it who was the first sort of big chain that started to stock the brand um we launched the brand in selfridges um the Mm -hmm. large in terms of the supermarket that took um the sainsbury started working with us quite early on um they have a a program called future brands where they pick a number of smaller brands that they think you know will work well in in the future and they really work with you to develop the brand in store um, and give you lots of, you know, great data um, and more flexibility, um, which is really exciting. And when you, you say Sainsbury's have been really supportive, does that mean they're also, because I know with a lot of the, the supermarket chains and the big stores, because I was a buyer for Marks and Spencers for years, they tend to get smaller brands on board and then, you get caught up in their kind of discounting and special buy one, get one free deals. And then gradually they start to sort of erode the profits of the smaller brands. Have you found that Sainsbury's have been more supportive in that respect or is there always a, an issue over price? No, we've, we've definitely seen them as being very supportive. Um, That's good. We've just, for instance, um, at the start of this week, they've given us 250 gondola ends, um, which is for our multi-packs, which is amazing exposure mm, for such a small yeah. brand. Um, so, no, they've been really supportive for us. There's always, I suppose, um, um, with the larger grocers, they're always looking to um, potentially squeeze you on price. But I think mm. that's just the name of the game, really. Um, and being a soft drinks, we've got to compete with the with the bigger brands um, for us to really get on get on shelf. Yeah, that's amazing though, that they've given you that big highlight in the in the stores. They must really believe in you, which is brilliant. Yeah, no, it's exciting. We've we've seen that the rate of sale um, in back of store Sainsbury's has really dramatically increased over the last six months um, as brand awareness. Um, so no, we're we're excited about about working with the grocers going forward in the UK. 
Hmm. So what advice would you give someone else that was thinking of setting up a British drinks brand mm. or even a British food brand? If they if they were if what if you were doing it all again, how would you yeah. how would you do do it differently? Um I I certainly don't have any any regrets. Um there's certain things that I think that put us in good stead. I think um with food and drink, it's so important that the liquid or the food tastes great. And mm. I think some people sometimes forget that is that if you want people to repeatedly come back to your brand and keep buying you, then it's got to taste amazing. So I would say that that, and I think a lot of people can settle for something potentially mediocre because they might go to, you know, somewhat a, a flavorologist or, um, and they might say, oh, well, this is the only, this is where we can get to. Um, but I think it's important to speak to as many people as possible to see what is actually possible um, and don't sort of rest on on someone's one person's opinion so That's you know put in you know lots and lots of time and work in making that liquid or food as as good as possible um, and don't settle for sort of mediocre would be my main piece of advice I would say I can't believe there's something called a flavorologist I probably should <laughs> <laughs> should know that that's amazing so the, the actual flavor part how long did that take you then um it was a long time um so as i mentioned earlier we started out in the past mm. and with the vats of water and then we went to see this amazing chap called philip ashurst who i think is now very old he was very old when we saw him <laughs> he's very much retired but he, he'd written three books on developing soft drinks. Um, and he... Oh, wow. He was... Um, we met him on the side of the motorway and he talked talk to us how we would bring this idea to life. Um, Amazing. It was, yeah, it was his sort of... Um, his... Um, you know, that gave us a good sort of bedrock to go and speak to the, the, the next sort of stage of people. Um, but, oh, I don't know, we... We started talking about Dash um, about two two years before we actually launched into Selfridges mm. um, and one full year out of our job. So a bit of scheming at our last roles and then um, a full year out. So it was a full two years of us developing the idea and getting a finished product to, to launch into retail. So whereas people think, oh, this is a brand that's come from nowhere, suddenly I've seen it pop up in every Sainsbury's store, actually there was many years of hard work behind that by the sound of things and this great mentor that you had that helped you sort of yeah. get to where you are now. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's I suppose it's um, we launched three years ago and have been talking about it for five years. So it has been quite a long time um, and lots of, we were lucky with our first round of investors that we had some people who had um, done great things before. Um, so we were able to call on, you know, good people who um, had been part of, you know, premium brands um, and had built a successful businesses before. So that was really important for our growth. So where did you go to get the investment? How did you raise that investment? Did you do it through, and sort of angel investment or crowdfunding? 
Yeah, it's all through angel investors. Mm. So we've always, always believed that um, we should get people on, not only for their money, but for their experience. And that's another, you know, really important piece of advice. I, I would say if you've got a good product, there's, you know, there's lots of money out there. Um, so it's trying to find the, you know, the smartest money possible who are going to help you sort of go through those levels of growth. Um, and um, that's what we've always wanted. So I would say, you know, aim high. Um, and if you approach the people in the right way, then you normally get a response or you're able to go for a coffee with them at least. Um, and then it's all about convincing them that, you know, your things, the next big thing sort of thing. <laughs> so in that, in that respect, then what would you say is the right way of approaching someone if you wanted them to help mentor you or you wanted to get some advice from them? What's your top tip there? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I wouldn't go direct to them. I would go via someone that they know. And so trying to get like an introduction through someone who means someone to them already if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, That's very wise. Because I think, I mean, I get a lot of people contacting me, they want help with manufacturing and things like that. And if it just comes out of the blue versus yeah. coming through someone else, I know I'm much more likely to get to have the time to respond to the person who's already been recommended by someone else that I maybe know and respect. So yeah, that's yeah. That's really good advice. So I also saw your you'd got Forbes thirty under thirty award. Then how did that come about? Well done. Well, I, you know, it's it's not um, it's good PR, I suppose, but not that it means anything. And it's good to be recognised. Um, they just, I think they just called. Um, they sort of found something online about our our um, latest raise of investment, um, and we're interested in you know, what we are up to. And then, um, so that's, yeah, just an email out of the blue, which is, I suppose, a bit of fun. And it has been, you know, it's, there's been so many, lots of challenges, as you can imagine, throughout yes. the, the three years. And so it's great to be recognised and um, it's good PR for, for the business and the brand. So what have been the biggest challenges? Um. So this type of product is completely new in the UK. So mm. it's an unsweetened flavoured water um, sparkling. And this is a really big trend in the US. Um, people have started to cotton on there and they are slowly here that diet soft drinks or the ingredients that go into making diet soft drinks are really bad for you or yeah. as bad as they are, you know, the sugar. Yeah, because yeah all the sweeteners and things. Yeah, we believe that aspartamin is the devil and you really shouldn't yep. be drinking these artificial or natural sweeteners, in my opinion, because yeah. you're, you're playing tricks with your body. Um, you're mm. saying that, you know, you're going to take on loads of sugar and then you actually don't. And so it's playing tricks with your insulin levels. So the first challenge was the education, you know. Um, for some people, you know, Dash isn't that sort of sweet um, hit that you'd expect from a soft drink it's a lot more subtle um, so to begin with it was sort of educating consumers that this is more of a sparkling water um, rather than a sweet soft drink 
Um, yeah, I can see how that would, because I'm not used to drinking sugary drinks because I don't drink diet drinks or anything. So for me, it was just a step up from my normal plain water. Yeah. And my daughter won't drink fizzy plain water at all, but she loves this stuff. Yeah, Which she didn't because she keeps stealing all of mine. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I love it when I hear kids are enjoying it because it's not necessarily a target, you know, audience for us, but more and more we get, you know, because adult or um, parents are looking, um, you know, rather than giving a treat as, you know, a, a Coca-Cola once or twice a week, why not give them a, you know, a peach dash, which is mm. hopefully as exciting as, as the experience with the, you know, good looking can and opening it up and the fizzy drink, but doesn't have any of the, the nasties. So yeah, we get really so how, excited about that. Good. How, how did you overcome that challenge then of the fact that people aren't used to, you know, they're, they're used to already the sweetened drinks rather than the, than the, the flavored water. Um, yeah. So it's, a lot of, um, we've been quite lucky that also the, the supermarket buyers and the sort of the macro trends of, um, you know, the sugar um, tax coming in and mm. a couple of other larger brands have also come to the to the fore. So we talked about San Pellegrino. They've just launched something called San Pellegrino Essenza. And then there's something called Aqua Libra, which is owned by Britfic. So quickly, this type of drink was put on the radar um, and um, the supermarket buyers, um, due to all of us coming um, into the category, were made more of aware of it. Mm. And just getting product on shelf and people trying it is the, is the main thing. And mm. on the whole... I'd say about 85 to 90% of people that try Dash um, really enjoy it. So mm. we do about, before COVID, we would do 25 to 30 tastings. So whether that was in a, a business and industry site, um, in a canteen in Canary Wharf, or whether it was in Whole Foods or it was in Selfridges. So lots of tasting is really important for us, to, for people to try it. Mm. So I suppose in that respect, it's quite helpful to have other competitors that are in the same space, especially with the way that supermarkets work, because they won't take on just one type of product. They like to have that variety and that category, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we need the bigger brands to be spending, you know, the marketing pounds to mm. really educate the, the um, population, because... At the moment, we're not in a position to be spending lots of money on experiential marketing activity. Mm. Um, we need other brands to educate consumers about, you know, having a great tasting drink that doesn't have any sugar and sweetener. Um, but because we were sort of first movers, we're in a quite a good position to sort of capitalise on the, on the movement, we hope, anyway. <laughs> And I tried the San Pellegrino. I feel like I've been unfaithful. I tried the San Pellegrino Ascenza, yeah. as it's called, the pomegranate one. Yeah. Yuck. We, yeah. We had a six pack of it, which came from Ocado, and I think there's still one in the drinks fridge, and it's been there about three weeks. And yeah. that's with a family of four, and it and they hasn't been finished. Whereas I get a, one of those. You do um, a subscription, don't you, on your website? Yeah. And I get a case. The office pack, I think you call it, which is how many cans? Maybe. 60? Yeah, something like that, yeah. 
Yeah, and he lasts a couple of weeks in this house. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> so great to hear. Yeah. So I, I think the trick is, I suppose, with yours, it tastes natural. Mm. Whereas with my my personal opinion anyway, from the San Pellegrino one, is it still tasted slightly artificial. So whatever your tasteologist is doing with your <laughs> extraction infusion flavour recipe yeah. is obviously amazing. Yeah, no, it's great. It's amazing to think that, because I agree with you, I think the San Pellegrino <laughs> Ascensa is, is very strange. It's amazing. You know how you know a huge corporation like that can get the liquid um, so wrong. But anyway, that's mm. maybe just mine and yours opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but also, when I do go on hot days to Sicily, I will occasionally drink one of their cans of Sicilian yeah. blood orange San Pellegrino with huge sugar hit. And so, yeah, you're right. They they've got the flavour of their other drinks right, but they've got that one wrong. So. Brilliant. Well done for you. The British brand is obviously best. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm biased. <laughs> Absolutely. Fantastic. So where, um, well, I was going to say, where can people find you, Jack? But of course, your uh, waters are now stocked um, in so many different places. But really, people should be buying it directly from you, shouldn't they? Yeah, I think so. I think um, our service and the way that we bring out the story um, is the best through our web shop. So mm. B2C has been a massive focus for us over the last year. And we're starting to um, see some really good volume. So if people, um, you know, dash water.com and we have a, an introductory code, which is um, get wonky, which gives people 30% off um, their first order. If you're an Ocado shopper, that's great. Um, we've got our full selection there. Um, with all the all the new peach and Amazon Prime um, and Sainsbury's online, so there should be hopefully lots of different options and how people can get hold of our drinks. And hopefully, when we go back to normal, people will see it out and about as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Jack. It was really wonderful to chat to you, especially as I'm a bit of a fangirl of Dash Water. And I'm really looking forward to your rhubarb flavour. So please tell your flavourologist to hurry up and get that one sorted. Thanks, Kate. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British-made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.